0: Welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Series 5 is coming to an end, and we thought that we would finish with a bang or a triangle ting and look back on the insights, the big reveals and musical moments from across the series, as well as a couple of special or shocking moments from even older episodes. It's almost three years since LPO Offstage began, and I'm still finding out so much about classical music, the people behind it, and all of the elements. That make the orchestra work. So, first, let me take you back to one of the best days of my life. Well my LPO of stage life at least. The day I really got to know the triangle.
1: You can actually do vibrato.
0: Oh tell me. I'm applauding. So what Andy's doing this, put his hand in the triangle and just waved it up and down. Waving the air around. That is brilliant. I
1: mean, I hardly ever do that, but just sometimes it's nice to just.
0: Ah, a great day indeed. And we'll have more from Andy later. He's the principal percussionist of the LPO and a regular on the podcast. Now, it's always interesting to hear from composers. How do you begin to write a new piece of music? From a chat in Series 3, the LPO's then composer-in-residence, Brett Dean, reveals that you do sometimes have to get practical before the creative juices can flow. How do you start the process of writing for an orchestra?
2: In essence, the things you then need to nut out when you're asked to write a piece is what size orchestra it is, what dimensions of piece. I mean, too often in the world of new music, it's it's sort of some short, harmless piece of new music, at the opening of a concert, so that we don't put off too many potential <laughs> ticket <newcomers>. buyers. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is sort of getting your head around what Okay, so what have what have I got to play with? And so it is it more about the practicalities of yeah. the music you're about to make rather than the creative vision of I heard this melody in the middle of the night and this is where it's going. Exactly. I think they're the things you, you take back to your music room or, or studio. But the the first conversations with, you know, a an orchestra or an entrepreneur who's wanting to commission you is more, you know, the practicalities of it. So it can be up to let's say, 15 minutes long, you've got an orchestra of, say, double or even perhaps triple woodwinds or whatever, Mm. then there may be a bit of, you know, back and forth, argy-bargy as to how many percussionists you might be able to use. And, you know, it was also ever thus. I mean, you know, you go back through... Letters and documents of commissioning processes in the past, and operas, particularly, you know, the the sort of correspondence between impresarios and composers is full of this sort of thing. You know, yes. it, it's it's nothing new, but it's it is still something you you have to kind of nut out.
0: Now for another regular on LPO Offstage, conductor Karina Canalakis, talking about a giant of the classical music world, Ludwig van Beethoven. Here she admits that although he is her favourite composer, his Eroica Symphony isn't necessarily a straightforward listen. It had this,
3: a similar effect on me when I was a student. I remember the first time I played it back at Curtis when I was like 18 and I did not understand the opening melody. I thought, this is really, really weird. Why is there this note that doesn't fit the key? And it also doesn't give you any time to get used to what's going on. There's no introduction. There's no announcement of formality. It just, you know, you're just tossed into this thing that stays in the same tempo for a long time. I mean, the whole movement, and yet, you just have no idea what's going on harmonically. And I, I did find that uncomfortable mm. at first.
0: Do check out the whole of that episode with Karina if you want to get a full tour of Beethoven's Eroica Symphony. I tell you, I learned so much about this amazing piece. But first, can music have a soggy bottom? I'm circling right back to you now, Jürgen, because that magic that we feel in music, you really brought to baking to the point where I know that even Sue has shared and I've, I've read all the articles and seen the videos of people crying when you finally had to leave the show. Was there a connection between baking and you brought music really much into your ingredients and creations? What was the link there for you? Well, I
1: think that's a very strong link in that you can't bake or you can't play music, perform music. If you're not in the moment, you have to be absolutely in the moment. In music, you're communicating via sound something that disappears in an instant. In baking, you communicate via shapes and flavours and aromas. And they need more careful planning. They remain a bit longer than a sound wave in a room. But still, if you're not in the moment... At the time of doing it, if you don't know what you're doing, then things can go awfully wrong.
0: Jürgen Kras there, a great British Bake Off semi-finalist and LPO fan. We get stories from all sides of classical music here on LPO Offstage. Artistic director of the LPO Elena Duvignets explains the ideas behind the orchestra's 2022-23 to 23 season, A Place to Call Home.
4: When I started my job at LPO. It was August 2021. It was straight after the pandemic. It was actually still ongoing. It's still ongoing. But at that time, we were beginning to perform again for live audiences. And that was a major challenge already uh, for our art form. But on top of it, as I was moving to London, the political situation started changing in the world, not just in this country in anticipation of Brexit, but also everywhere around us. A few weeks before my proper move to London, the horrible crisis began in Afghanistan, and we began hearing about Taliban. and immigrants trying to escape from the country, and how difficult it was for them. And this was a primary trigger for my thinking that some of our programming should be related to that situation and to some other situations. I wish I knew that a terrifying situation would happen in my own country uh, very soon. I'm from Russia, and as we all know now, Russia invaded Ukraine just a few months after the situation in Afghanistan. And uh, the whole world started seeing the Ukrainian refugees and also people living from Russia. Obviously, our seasons usually are planned very early on, but we were able to change many programs and to adjust our programming to reflect what was going on around us. And of course, we were talking not only about the current events, but also about uh, similar situations in the past. For example, the bulk of our season always consists of you know the most wonderful music from the previous periods. But we decided to focus previously written uh, music. To accommodate our theme in a way and uh, we have programmed a number of compositions by composers who managed to escape from the nazi regime in europe during the second world war or after the bolshevik revolution in russia you know and we also managed to incorporate some music by composers who didn't leave their own countries and didn't want to and didn't need to, but in their music, they wanted to talk about their hometowns, home places that they loved. So a place to call home is not necessarily only about the tragic stuff that is happening around us. It's also about the beauty of your homeland and it's about the warm feelings toward your native countries. As a scholar, I have always wanted to explore the issue of what a home means to different people, to those who have always lived in the same place, to those who had to move, to those who had to escape from their own countries, and to those who have never had homes. And the questions that are constantly on my mind are, what is home? Is it just a safe harbor within the confines of the four walls, or is it something else? Is it an emotional place where you feel that you belong to a culture, or to a nation, or to a geographic location? Maybe it's a historical time and place, or maybe it's all of the above. I tell you, I was so moved to hear
0: Elena Duvignets talking about how she approached the LPO's 2022 to 23 season. Now, as well as artistic planning, there's another extremely important role in our orchestras the librarian. Sarah Holmes was the LPO's librarian until summer 2021. And as you'll hear, she was an absolute rock for the players. We have to
3: bow all the strings for them. They don't it isn't an automatic thing. It has to be put in the parts.
0: You are physically writing the fin to each, each part. writing
3: up bows and down bows Sarah. and various other markings. Now obviously the sets that we have a lot of them are bowed Green. and yes. we don't have to. We usually have to check the back desks because if you have A string strength that is different from the last time you did it. For example, if we did a piece at Brighton, we would have a desk around fewer. I see. Then next time we do it in the Festival Hall.
0: Then you'd have more.
3: So say we have 16 in the Festival Hall and we have 14 at Brighton, we have to check the back desk. So
0: how long does it take you to prepare? Just say it's just one piece. How long would it take you to go through each musician's it, music? It really
3: varies because it depends on the length of the length piece. Of piece. Yeah, I loathe working on Beethoven.
0: Well, let's take Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> hate it. Why?
3: Because there's so many markings. There's so many. There's so many different things to put in, yes, really. And yes. it's, it's You'll find you'll get to desk eight. And you find something you've never seen before and you have to go back and see, did I not see it or do I just, you know, did I not remember it or everything? And sometimes you find you have put it in, but you just didn't remember. (laughs) You were an autopilot. Um, (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And and so it just can take, and you know, Beethoven parts can take absolutely ages. We've done a lot of Schumann in the last season because of Covid. We've been doing repertoire that we have not used to doing and... Those have taken a, a long time. A, yeah. a, a part can take over an hour, maybe. You know, a string section can take you a week. In between all that, you've got to send scores out to conductors, yes. send parts out to the players, send to, to scan the parts in the first yeah. place. Yeah. With recordings, you know, we have to get scores out to the recording engineers Absolutely. and. Conductors vary. OK. Uh, some of them like to get their own, they buy their own and they look after them. Oh. If it's repertoire, they've often got them already. Uh-huh, yes. Others turn up without them at the first rehearsal. <laughs> and then you have to a- go and... Again, fucking t- <laughs> no names.
0: <laughs> no names, but no. we know who they are. We always oh, have them on stand-by. Standby. <laughs> And we usually have them ready. So now back to the stage as a saxophonist myself, I was very excited to meet Joe Lovano. We chatted about jazz, orchestras and improvisation. And can these things all work together?
5: Jazz is an idea about spontaneous composition within the music, whatever that piece might be could be a, a song form, it could be the blues, it could be completely open for you to create spontaneous harmonic sequences and tonalities that you vibrate on. So it's, it's not any different for me than improvising with a quartet, piano, bass, and drums, or just bass and drums, or just in a duo where you're feeding off of each other's ideas hmm. and you're trying to breathe together. So to play with an orchestral setting, you have the energy of more people and tonalities that are vibrating around you. And that inspires me to try to uh, blend in different ways. And hmm. In a written piece like this, there's all the dynamics are there, You know, there's a lot of detail. So for me, it's about listening and creating music within the music.
0: Saxophonist Joe Lovano there. So much joy and collaboration in his approach to music making. Well, we heard a little ting earlier and something else that brought me joy was learning all about the triangle. I was campaigning for a triangle episode ever since we discussed the instrument in an episode about percussion. And finally, Andy Barclay brought some examples along for a special recording and I was not disappointed.
1: I know you're all classical music fans, but I'm sure you all used to watch Pink Panther. You can do that. So all I'm doing is I'm trying to hold it as little as possible with the And then I hold Finger. it with grab it in my hand. Yes. yes. So that's a sort of Latin thing.
4: That
0: is fantastic.
1: Okay. So that's just me holding the triangle in my hand. But obviously that, you have to let the triangle ring. Yes. So there's one way you put it on a, what's called a clip. I'm hooking it through some of Rachel's harp strings. String or it might be Suspended
0: on. What, is this an actual... This is an actual triangle holder. Thingy. But what? it doesn't come with the string then? Or you had to replace it?
1: Well, they do break. Oh. If you look really carefully, Yolanda, you'll see there's two bits yeah. of two. string. two. Insurance. You not... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So has it
0: ever broken oh, on yeah. a gig?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Only when I was a student and it fell on the floor. Oh, no. So, yeah, Glonk, clonk clunk. <laughs> so that's when you learn life's yes, lessons.
0: On, but on the oh, yeah. I see. It
1: just means that you've got, like you said, if one goes, there's another one to catch it. Yeah. I'm like this, I do have a stop, get and then I don't replace the thing that, you know, and then the worst happens again. <laughs> so that's now hanging. Mm-hmm. So if I ting that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's very interesting, if you look, I'm hitting that, if you like, at 90 degrees. Yes. Right. And you'll hear quite a pure sound. If I hit it at a slight angle. Wow! You get a completely different sound.
0: Sorry, I just spoke over that sound because that was... I great. know, you've podcast. <laughs>
1: I'll I'm do it again. I'm so excited. You, I don't right. know why. <laughs> yeah. okay.
4: Again.
1: Um, this is a try. Wait till we do the cymbals, Yeah. So, if I hit it at right angles... Mm-hmm. And if I hit it at a slight angle... You get... Can you hear this more... Um, it's a nice chord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, with harmonic series, you get a fundamental note. Yes. And then you get all this sort of...
2: Harmonics.
1: Harmonics, yeah. which in a, an instrument that plays a pitch or whatever, the harmonic series is very accurately mm. divided. You know, it's an octave a, and then a fifth yeah. and then yeah. a fourth. And well, this is a, Because of the shape of it, the metal is all um, jangling around in all different directions. So you get lots of different pitches. And that's, in a way... Because although you might be able to h- sing a pitch, I don't... Can you sing that pitch? I'm not sure. Well, I'm hearing a different pitch, see? Oh, yeah. So, it, this is a lovely triangle. We've been using this one for about 30 years, but it always seems to fit in with the chord that the orchestra is playing. It's almost like the sound will find the, the thing in the triangle and amplify it almost. I mean, I'm slightly making this up, but no, you but know what I mean? That makes sense. So, it, sounds, it doesn't sound out of place.
0: Andy Barkley, principal percussionist of the LPO. Do search for the whole of that episode wherever you get your podcasts. You never know, you might become more of a Triangle fan than me. Although, if that's possible, I am the leader of the Triangle fan club for sure. Now, a discussion about iPads and music turned into an interesting conversation about accessibility with Dav Shiel, project manager at Drake Music and Session Drummer, and LPO cellist Elizabeth Vicklander.
6: I could see from an accessibility point of view the benefit, especially Yolanda when you mentioned the foot pedal you know, for someone who has limited mobility, and but they can move through their score with a foot pedal, that's that could be amazing and open up so many opportunities for people.
7: And also in terms of light, that you can control the brightness. Because a lot of people in the orchestra, we normally have very different needs in terms of lightning. So that's always been an issue.
6: That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe for people who are colourblind as well, you could have colourblind friendly sort of... I mean, actually, when I say that now, that doesn't sound too... <laughs> too relevant because music scores don't involve a lot of color do they
7: well actually you, you say that but uh it, the fact is that using colors i mean for many people are actually visual thinkers where color schemes would be a better way to uh convey information than the traditional way of just black and white and i, yeah. I actually took part in a project um it's called Digital Scores. It's a worldwide investigation of how technology can change the conventional music score. And it's, it's a huge uh, undertaking funded by the uh, European Research Council. And it's led by uh, Professor Craig uh, Veer. And I took part in a case study that was part of this with four neurodivergent or orally, orally different individuals. In this project, I was actually playing from a score that was only graphics and colours and very suggestive instructions as well. And I realised that I've never been a good improviser. I always felt very limited and constrained when it comes to improvising. But actually using colours for me just let loose something that I had never experienced before. That just shows there's a whole other pool of way of reading music and and, and conveying information to people who actually would prefer using colours in this sense that could open up a whole new uh, feeling and and talent and uh, ability, actually, by doing so. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a relevant point, Dav.
0: That episode really opened my eyes to how technology is not just about amplification or recorded sound. It can also make music accessible, allowing everyone to be creative and reach their musical potential. The LPO work with Drake Music to bring music and music making to disabled adults in the UK. On LPO of stage, I must admit we do love the odd disaster story, and here co-principal horn player Mark Vines delivered in spades. So, have you ever lost your instrument for a start, or have you ever damaged an instrument that's been so precious to you, and just you know your heart just breaking?
6: It's funny you should ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I-, I can think of at least three occasions. <laughs> three. Three separate occasions, yeah. Um, Two with the same instrument, one with the previous one. I have this, um, another very nice horn that I I don't use so often anymore, but I used it for a few years, made by a a Norwegian horn maker called Dan Rauch. Actually, I think he's American, but was working in Norway. I was lucky enough to get one of the last instruments he made before he retired, and he only made a few a year, and um, they're all handmade, and there used to be a long waiting list. So this is an irreplaceable instrument. And I've left it on the train twice, <laughs> so <laughs> I know you'd think I'd learn after the first time, wouldn't you? But I, I, I certainly have eye. after the second time. And so how the first did you recover time, them? Yeah. For the first time, I was very lucky. Um, I had the the label on the instrument which says London Philharmonic Orchestra, and it has my mobile phone number on it. And um, so a very kind guard called me and said, "I've found this." I think it might be an important, I think it might be a musical instrument. So, and, it, and, I, was, oh, and I hadn't realised and I was just driving home, I got off the train. So he um, arranged to take the instrument off the train at Southampton and I just got straight in the car and drove down there and I was able to pick it up that night. You know, my heart beating, but I got it back.
0: Well, you got it back. Yeah, it's nah. not too bad. That's all, okay.
6: The second time was a, a not as good an experience <laughs> <laughs> because I... What what happens sometimes when we're traveling a lot with the orchestra, we put our instruments in boxes and they get taken from place to place. So you get into a mindset of not carrying your instrument, which is how you can forget it. So I think this had been going on for a few weeks. I hadn't really been carrying my instrument back and forth. And on this occasion, I had brought it home and then completely forgotten. So I left it on the train and I didn't even realize I'd left it on the train. I just went home and didn't think about it until the next morning (laughs) to get up to go... (laughs) <laughs> go to a concert it's like oh no <laughs> and just so when you you know when you just you get that sort of faint feeling and you yes. just uh, and I was in a dreadful state so um, I called up the train company and they well they said well it would have gone down to lost property in Weymouth but the cleaner would have taken it off and, put it into lost property but we only empty that twice a week so we can't tell you whether we've got it until friday and And no one called you
0: with your name tag on that
6: no not this time no so i put something on social media to say um if if anyone's found this because i was worried someone had taken it and i was emailing all the cash converters shops around the around the country and this this um, (laughs) so this this social media post was doing the rounds you know hundreds of people saw it to my embarrassment (laughs) everyone knew everyone in the whole world knew yeah (laughs) And and meanwhile, all I could do was sort of wait and hope that it had just ended up in lost property, which got taken back to Waterloo twice a week. So I was sort of calling them every day, and they said, no, I told you, they don't come back till Friday. So finally, I went on the Friday morning, and there it was. Oh, thank goodness. So the the thing I do now, which isn't always popular, I I will never anymore put my horn in the overhead compartment on the train. Yes. Because that's that's how I forgot it. Um, So it always goes underneath my feet. And I know people say no, you must put on the overhead racks. Like no, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, forget it.
0: <laughs> oh, Mark, three horns! I tell you now. After that episode, every time I get out of a plane, a train, wherever I am, I turn around about five times. It's really locked in my brain. I haven't quite lost my saxophone yet, but it did not make it onto a plane from Germany once. I still haven't got over it. Well, I hope Mark never loses his horn again. Fingers crossed. Another super fan now, Joanna Williams celebrates the shared joy of orchestral performances. And Jo, I know you've given us magical already, but can I push (laughs) you for another word to describe the LPO? Enjoyment. Yes,
4: absolutely. Because
0: I
3: think it is clear that the orchestra enjoy what they are doing. Yes. And that they enjoy each other. They take pride in each other's abilities and I think classical music is one of the most accessible experiences is it it can be your own, it can be made your own so very easily and it doesn't matter what mood you're in, you can go and enjoy it live or on the radio or in any way in many different forms. You can be in a terrible mood and it can make you feel better or you can be sad and it can just make you cry and give you the opportunity for the emotional expression and so I think it is bringing that enjoyment to other people.
0: Absolutely right. Oh, you can't have an orchestra without its fans. Here's another conductor. The LPO's principal conductor, Ed Gardner, reveals how he gets ready, or not, before a concert.
8: Yeah. uh, Okay. well, I'm quite scatty. So I often, I did a prom a few years ago where I took my shoes out of my bag at 25 past seven and realised I had two left shoes. No! Which I had to go on for the first time. So, I, I mean, I'm maybe not the person to ask this. Did you it's, wear them uh, on? Yeah, I did. Both? Yeah. Because no one was, to, no one was there to help me. No so wants,
0: yeah. And no one wants you in in socks, yeah.
8: Yeah. And the orchestra, bit by bit, realised and started giggling. It's, it wasn't one of the great nights of my life. But, but in all seriousness, I, on that, I trust my subconscious brain more and more so you know when I started out I'd be flicking through scores like over and over again and actually nothing's going in so I try and keep away from the idea of performance until the last minute I'll try and sleep in the afternoon because that's an amazing reset of your day you know and it, it feels like there's a freshness about your evening but I get ready, as quarter past seven, and I try and leave it as late as possible so that I'm just fresh in the performance. There's no kind of meditation. It's just all about keeping away from it in your conscious brain for as long as possible and then engaging with it. Because you've done the work, you know, you've done the work with the orchestra and you have to try, there's a point where you have to trust yourself.
0: Good advice there from the principal conductor of the LPO, Ed Gardner. And not just if you're a conductor. I mean, the preparation musicians undergo for concerts and the mental focus you need to perform can be applied to so many everyday situations. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. In this highlights episode from Series 5 and beyond, we heard from Principal Percussionist Andy Barkley, Composer Brett Dean, Principal Guest Conductor Karina Kanalakis, LPO Fan and Bake Off Star Jürgen Kraus, the LPO's Artistic Director Elena Dubinets, Music Librarian Sarah Holmes, Jazz Saxophonist Joe Lovano, Drake Music Project Manager Dav Scheel, Cellist Elizabeth Wicklander horn player Mark Vines, super fan Joanna Williams and principal conductor of the LPO Ed Gardner. If you'd like to hear more from any of the musicians you heard today or haven't yet heard Andy's full tour of what's possible on The Triangle, you can check out the whole series wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. See you soon for a fresh series of LPO Offstage Series 6. Do email in any questions you have about classical music, life in an orchestra and beyond. The address to contact is offstage at lpo.org.uk. Whether it's about music in general, motivation, practice tour or favourite concert snacks. No question is too small or too big. Please do email offstage at lpo.org.uk with your questions and we will be answering you in series six.